So we are finishing up a message series today. And by the way, um, next week we are starting something very, very cool. It's, we're calling it the world's largest small group. We want every single person to go through a small group with us. And the great news is you get to do it in your time, uh, on your schedule, at home. We have bought you a book uh, called Everybody Always. Did Pastor Jamie already mention this? Um, Everybody Always. And it is uh, by Bob Goff. And it's about uh, really just loving people where they're at. And it's five weeks. And what we're going to do is we're going to give you the book. And then we're going to... uh, give you a link every week that you can go to and just watch this like 11 minute, 12 minute thing that Bob does. And you just go through that little chapter. It's a small book. And I, I promise you'll, you'll benefit from doing it. And it's going to be very cool because we're all going to do it together. This is part of our 90 day challenge, which you'll see at the very end. All right, back into it. We're finishing up our message series, uh, The uh, Return of the Living Dead. And uh, this has been kind of a cool series because we're, 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 we're launching off of the incredible conversation that we get to have about things that were once dead or are dead, having the possibility of coming back to life. And in today's conversation, we're going to talk about things that we wish would stay dead that keep coming back to life. So I was a sophomore in college and uh, I was a missiology major. I was studying missions and I loved my cultural anthropology class. It was one of my favorite classes ever. And probably one of the reasons was because remember, uh, I went to a very uber conservative, a very, very uh, legalistic kind of uh, Bible college. We weren't allowed to go see movies. Uh, We weren't allowed to wear um, um, shorts on campus. Uh, The guys and girls weren't allowed to sit together in chapel, which we had every single day. Can you imagine going to church every single day? And then on the weekends, we had to report where we went to church on Sunday. I think we're gonna start trying that around here. Just make sure. So we got to watch a movie, though, in class, which I just thought was amazing. And it was a rated R movie, too. And it was called The Serpent and the Rainbow. Has anybody seen The Serpent and the Rainbow? Yes. So it is based on a true story about a uh, Harvard scientist named Wade Davis who traveled to Haiti to study these astonishing stories of people who were dying and then coming back to life. So in that, he had to study these voodoo rituals and and discover how these uh, voodoo witch doctors were actually killing people and then reanimating them and they would come back to life and he witnessed it himself. In reality, what was happening was these voodoo witch doctors had ground up this this herbal, tons of different ingredients, and it was a a neurotoxin. They would uh, themselves wear like rubber gloves, but they would blow it on their victim. It would get into their sinuses, and they would breathe it, and it would get on their skin, and it was so powerful that it would put them into a, a comatose, paralyzed vegetative state so deep so deep that everybody believed that they were dead. They found no vital signs. They could get no reactions when they would literally put a needle in their eyeball to make sure they were dead. They would do anything to confirm they were dead. They would bury them, but in their comatose state, they would eventually wake up days later in the ground, having already been buried alive in the cold, dark earth, and they would claw their way out. And because of the time they spent in the ground losing oxygen, and because of the neurotoxins, they would come back as these 
much different versions of themselves, a zombie-like version of themselves. And so the people were terrified and very afraid of these uh, Haitian voodoo witch doctors. And I imagine it would have been hopeful and encouraging and happy when you saw someone that you believe you had lost to death walking around returned from the grave. I imagine that children who had lost their father or a spouse who had lost his, uh, a husband who had lost his wife, that they would feel an instantaneous joy and excitement, but it only took a minute to realize this version that came back from the grave was not the version that went into the grave. And so they would have to agree that sometimes it's better when dead things stay dead. I don't know if Paul was a, uh, the Apostle Paul, that is, was a big fan of Wes Craven's uh, Serpent in the Rainbow like I was. Uh, I, maybe God gave him an early preview of it, but it seems that he was telling a story very similar to this when he was writing to the Christian church in Rome. And he was addressing this very thing of what it looks like when God's astonishing, powerful, overwhelming grace comes into our life and it abolishes our sin, the consequences of sin, the condemnation of sin, the guilt of sin, the power of sin. It gives us life that we so desperately needed. Then he starts questioning, if that has happened in our life, then how is it that we are still controlled by sin? How is it that sin, our old selves, still seems to have so much control? Why is it we still bow down to the power of sin when grace is present in our life? So he starts using this allegorical, really eerie language. And this passage we'll open up with in Romans 6, 1 through 6. It says this, so do you think we should continue sinning so that God will give us more and more grace. He was asking the question because he said, where there is sin, grace does that much more abound. In other words, whatever the worst sin you have, sin got poured on top of that in greater and greater volume. You can't out-sin God's grace. But he poses the question. So if we sin and there's so much grace added to that, should we just keep sinning so we get more and more grace? And the answer is, of course not. Our old sinful life has ended. It's Dead. He's starting to paint this picture, this Wes Craven picture. So how can we continue living in sin? If it's dead, why would we continue to live in sin? Did you forget that all of us have become part of Christ when we were baptized? And baptism is a symbol of resurrection. Wasn't it cool last week, 13 people baptized in service, right? In our baptism, we shared with his death. That's what it symbolizes. Going into the water is going into the grave and then coming back up. And when we were baptized, we were buried with Christ and took part in his death. So that's where our sin dies. And just as Christ was raised from death by the wonderful power of the Father, so we can now live a new life. When we come back up, and, and I'm going to tell you this, you don't have to be baptized to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's an act of obedience to demonstrate publicly, but the it's a powerful symbol of that, okay? Christ died and we have been joined with him dying too. So we also will be joined with him by raising from death as he did. We know that our old life was put to death on the cross with Christ. This happened so that our sinful selves 
would have no more power over us and that we would not be a slave to sin. So he's really telling this very cool story and he's using this imagery of death and things being alive and things being dead and using Christ as the center character of this story when he says, you all saw Jesus get crucified. You saw him be murdered. You saw him be put into the grave and you also saw that he walked around liberated from the grave alive again. Now, he says, I want you to picture that you are attached to that death. The whole reason Jesus came was to liberate you from sin. So what Jesus did was he took a hold of your sinful self and he got it in a headlock and he dragged it to the cross with him and he carried it on and he put on his back all of your sinful selves and he allowed your sinful selves to be crucified with him. But listen, your whole self would have died, but because of the power of Christ, the new you gets to be resurrected. Now he paints this picture, but says, so why is it then that we still walk around as if sin is controlling our lives when we are covered in the resurrection power of Christ? I think it's because that we don't know the rules of how to keep dead things dead that need to stay dead. I mean, there are a lot of rules, by the way. If you've ever watched a good zombie movie, you can't shoot them setter mass. You have to get them in the head. I don't know why it defies all logic, but that's the zombie rule. I've watched enough Walking Dead. I've watched World War Z. I've watched all the good zombie movies because I love a good zombie movie. And after a while, you start learning how to keep things from coming back. For you and I, we're not haunted by real zombies. I mean, it's happened with the Haitian story, but they weren't really dead. Um, we don't have to worry about real people coming back and haunting us, but you and I know better than anyone else what it feels like and looks like to have our old self never seem to die. It feels like Things should have been so much more different when we became a follower of Christ. Why is it we still struggle to keep dead things dead that need to stay dead? And so we're going to talk about that for a minute. To keep dead things dead that need to stay dead, I need to get good at, number one, death by inches. Death by inches. So over the years, I've heard some really cool stories. We used to do, has anybody ever gone to a church where they did like testimony night? A couple of you. Now, most of you have just come here where we don't do anything like that. So <clears throat> I used to go to a very Midwest traditional and uh, uh, um, this type of church where they'd, they'd have testimony nights and people would get up and they'd share their testimony. And I'd hear these stories about, man, this guy was a, a, just a, 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 a raging drug addict and alcoholic would beat his wife and just terrible things. And he would get in bar fights and do these things. And he wandered into a church one night drunk, trying to get a sandwich or get help or get something. And he sat down in the back and he listened to the preacher and he accepted his invitation to give his life to Christ in that moment and become a new believer and become a new follower of Christ. And he did that. And his life was never the same. He gave up drinking that night. He gave up drugs that night. He got married counseling restored their marriage that night his rage all went away everything changed from him. he was never the same again 
And I've heard about people who, 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 who were, were, were destitute in their emotions. They were suicidal. They were broken. They were, they were lost. They had no purpose. Sit down with a friend, have coffee, pray right there, and their lives were completely changed. All of that vanished for them. I've heard of stories of atheists who hated God and hated church, and man, especially hated Christians. Bunch of judgmental, right? hypocritical and they'd show up at a church service so they could corner one of the mindless sheep and say prove to me that God exists give me one bit of evidence that God exists but instead in hearing the message they feel the overwhelming presence and peace and and grace and mercy of God they feel enveloped by it and wrapped around and in that moment they place their faith in the God that they were just mocking minutes ago And you know what I used to think? Man, I hate this story. I used to think, I I really do hate this story. Because my life, my journey of faith, my walk with God, my coming to him didn't feel like that at all. Like they, they look like their faith was shot out of a cannon and they went from the starting line to the finish line instantaneously in the blink of an eye. And I felt like my faith was like a a three-legged turtle in, in molasses, just could not get anywhere, just walking in circles. I just thought, man, why is it that I can't have a faith like that? And the reality is, even though they're we'll call it conversion, they're, they're crossing that line of faith to become a follower of Christ. That seemed extraordinary, that seemed big. I mean, I was like 11 or 12 years old when I laid in my bed and I cried into my pillow and asked Christ into my heart. I mean, I was, I was kinda hardcore at that age. I was drinking probably a half quart of, of uh, Kool-Aid a day. I was popping M&Ms like they were candy. It was, it was pretty bad in my life. I had probably at least lied once to my parents in that year and I felt terrible about it, but I didn't have that kind of story. And it felt like my faith was being walked out in inches and not accelerated through the, through the just instantaneous transformation. But the reality is their faith and my faith, it all gets lived out the exact same. No matter how we come to Christ, we have to live it out by inches. We have to live it out day by day. Listen to what it says in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. It's the book of Colossians in 3, 10 through 11. It says this, now you are wearing a new life, a life that is new, everybody say it, every day. You are growing Love that in your understanding of the one God who made you and you are becoming more and more like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Greek or Jew, circumcised or not. Let me pause right there because you go, I don't think I'm Greek or Jew or am I circumcised? I don't think I'm circumcised. I don't know if I'm circumcised. Uh, These were all very important cultural distinctions that they were battling with as believers at the time in which they believed that if you were this, 
you could not be an authentic follower of Christ, or if you were this, you could not be an authentic follower of Christ, or this made you a lesser committed follower of Christ, because many of them, almost all of them actually, were Jewish, who then became Christ followers. They believed that he was the fulfillment, the Messiah, and these Gentiles and Greeks and all these people that were not Jewish, not circumcised, they believed that they were on the outside. Now you're wearing a new, uh, not Greek or not circumcised or not. It doesn't matter if you speak a different language, if you're Hebrew or if you're not Hebrew, if you're from this country, you're not from this country. If you're a Scythian, they were terrible people. It doesn't even matter if you are a slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he is in all of you. Here's what Paul was saying. First of all, Change happens from the outside of you. It wraps itself around you. This new life was given to you. You didn't do anything to earn it. But here's how he says that new life is adopted and integrated into your life. Morning by morning, minute by minute, choice by choice, decision by decision, thought by thought, word by word, there's an, there's an integrating, an inch by inch movement towards becoming what you're covered in. Because I can tell you this, that if you put on a superhero outfit, it doesn't mean you can fly. Don't go jumping off any buildings. But do you ever notice how what you wear changes how you feel? So I... I prefer to look presentable at all hours of the day. I rarely wear anything slouchy or slovenly or sloppy, okay? But I have found a new outfit. <laughs> They're Tommy Hilfiger sweats that I just, I don't even remember where I bought them, Costco, I think. And there's this, um, Hollister sweatshirt that's actually got tears and holes in it. And when I put that on, I feel like I'm getting a hug all the time. Um, it's comfortable, it's heavy. I feel warm and cozy. And I told Lisa, I'm never gonna stop wearing this. I'm gonna wear this everywhere I go. Like, I look homeless when I'm wearing it. Like, I, and and, and uh, I, when I dress in a suit, and people say, oh my gosh, PC, you need to wear a suit more often. I'm like, well, thank you. Like, <laughs> I feel beautiful. Isn't it amazing how what we put on the outside changes how we feel on the inside? But I want to tell you this, that as soon as you take that off, you're back to being who you were, unless you allow it to incrementally begin to become who you are. Now, I know that there's some people who are um, discouraged because it doesn't seem to matter how many days you do this in a row and how many times you choose Christ over your flesh or you make a mistake and then you feel like you've reset yourself back to the starting line. I want to give you some really good encouragement that actually comes from the Old Testament, and this is pre-grace. Okay, we're in, we're in what theologians call the dispensation of grace. We are in the New Testament, the new covenant of new life, the new covenant of grace. We're no longer under the law, which sin only had its power because the law existed. Because nothing has power if there isn't a prohibition against it, 
right? So the law gave sin its actual power and we're no longer under the law, so sin no longer has its power. Grace is what has power. But this was true even under the law and listen to what it says from the prophet Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations 32, or 3, 22 through 24. God's loyal love couldn't have run out His merciful love couldn't have dried up. Even if you're feeling that, even if somebody's told you that, even if you've been led to believe that, they're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God. I say it over and over. He's all I've got left. The prophet Jeremiah says, God is creating new mercies for you. Creating them. It's not like he has them stored up. It's not like he has them waiting. It's not like there's a, there's a limited number and when you run out, you run out. God is refreshing his mercy because every single day you bring to him a new version of yourself, a different version of yourself, a new struggle, a new battle, a new challenge, and God's mercy is waiting for you. Do you know it doesn't say that God's anger, God's wrath, God's condemnation, God's judgment, God's discipline, none of that is waiting for you. God's mercy is waiting for you every single day. Number two is this, to keep dead things dead that need to stay dead, I need to get good at death by attrition. So in the business world, attrition is essentially reducing slowly, progressively reducing your workforce by letting people retire or resign, and then you just simply don't replace those positions. You don't go firing anyone, you just let people sort of do what they'll naturally do, and then you don't replace those positions. So you went from a company of 100 to 75 over two years because you just didn't replace those positions. But the more common use of the word attrition, the more traditional use of the word attrition is this. The action of gradually reducing the strength or effectiveness of someone or something, listen, through sustained attack or pressure. Reducing the strength or effectiveness of someone or something through sustained, right, attack or pressure. Now think about that in our goal of keeping dead things dead that need to stay dead. Not only does death by inches allow us the grace of starting to see each day as the newness of God's mercy. We just say, um, I'm, I'm growing by inches. I'm not trying to accelerate. I want everything that I'm doing to stick, to become a pattern, to become a behavior, right? Uh, There are people who have lost weight and they lose it rapidly. I was one of those. Uh, I went on a program and I lost uh, about 60 pounds in five months and people thought I was sick because I was losing it so rapidly. Now, the same people who were on the program that I was on, as soon as they got off the program, went back to their old habits and gained all their weight back. I was determined I had spent too much time, too much energy, lost too many good meals, spent too many of my resources on accomplishing a goal that I was not gonna surrender back. So I changed the habits of eating and I started implementing better behaviors. You see, that's sort of what happens when we, we have what I call camp experiences or revival experiences. When we go off and we chase down these as exciting things that happen at this church or that church in this state and that state. Something happens to us, we come back and we do this really explosive kind of growth in our life. And then I had a youth pastor that used to tell me, it doesn't matter how high you jump, it's how straight you walk when you land. 
And the reality is there's, those kind of things produce a maturity that's a mile wide and an inch deep. So growing by inches and death by inches allows us this. It allows us the ability of replacing old thinking with new thinking. That's how the Bible says that our lives are transformed is by changing the way we think. Because when you change the way you think, you also get to replace the way you see people. The old way you saw people with a new way you see people. Because the way you see people means that you judge them a particular way. You assess them a particular way. And so you change the way you judge people and move into a new way of seeing people. How you speak to the world. Have you ever heard somebody at a store or at a bank or, or in a conversation and they start off at like 90? Like they don't, they don't start at one or five or 10, they're at like 90. Their anger, their, their emotions are already built up. They're angry at the world and you just happen to be in the proximity of them while they got to express that. The way we talk to people from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Bible says. What you are will come out of your mouth. So how we speak to people in real time and how we speak to people through the gift of the internet that unfortunately we've weaponized and used to beat people up and shame people like cowards from behind the safety of our keyboard. The way people talk on the internet, you can tell they've never been punched before, <laughs> right? If I talked like that when I was a kid, I would have a lot of false teeth in my mouth now because you just get knocked out if you talk that way to people in real life. But the internet has given us the ability to be bullies and mean and condemning and bigots and hateful as Christians on the internet. So this is our opportunity when we're in this process of death by attrition is letting the old ways die off because we keep replacing them with the new way. We don't allow them to come back to life. This isn't what John the Baptist was saying. This isn't the context he was speaking in in John 3.30 when he said, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. But what a perfect description of death by attrition where we just let our old selves die while Christ fills in those places and spaces. Listen, the only way a vampire, if you know vampire folklore, which every responsible adult should know vampire folklore, you should know that a vampire can't come in to your house or into a place unless he's invited, right? And that's the only way, now vampires aren't real, but the old self, that old zombie of you, that thing that keeps coming back to life that we keep giving ourselves over to and keep submitting ourselves to, that can come back to life. But the only way that it can do it is by our permission. Listen to what it says in Romans 6, 12 through 14. Don't invite that insufferable tyrant of sin back into your mortal body so that you won't become obedient to its destructive desire. Notice how it's this detached thing. This is not who we are. It's not our identity anymore. That's our old selves. Don't offer your bodily members to sin service as tools of wickedness. Instead, offer your body to God as those who are alive from the dead and devote the parts of your body to God as the tools for justice and goodness in this world. For sin is no longer a tyrant over you, Indeed, you are under grace and not the law. Again, look at how sin is not a tyrant over you. 
you're under grace, not the law. Law and sin are mentioned in the same thing because that's where the power of sin comes from is trying to measure up to the law. And so what he says right here is all these things are done by permission. You're giving it permission. You're inviting it back in. Stop volunteering yourself to sin. Stop giving yourself over to sin. Stop inviting sin back in. You are in control of whether that zombie comes out of the grave or not. And that leads us to third. And finally is this, to keep dead things dead that need to stay dead, I need to be good at death by options. So I'm a big fan of watching people. Um, More specifically, I'm a fan of watching people do things that they don't want other people watching. Okay, well that sounds sounds super creepy when I say it like that. (laughs) Hi there. What I mean is, I like seeing people do things that I would do that would embarrass me, but it's not me, it's them. That's what I mean. Like, have you ever done the walking and done the old, and looked, and you look back, and it's just the floor. It's just the phantom, the phantom thing that grabbed your foot. I love watching people trip over nothing and do the, oh, I don't know, I think the tile popper, right? My favorite, my absolute favorite, is when somebody boldly and confidently goes and runs into a glass door that they thought was a push door, but it's actually a pull door. It's the, it echoes the glass, and I'm just like, oh, it didn't break. Darn it, that would have been really, really good. I think it's funny because I've done it all myself a million times, and it's just, there's a certain satisfaction and joy of watching others do it as well. Here's the problem. The, the door is... I, I, admire, I admire the confidence of rolling the dice on the 50-50 chance that it was a push and not a pull. I love it that they just went, it's definitely a push. Fa-ding! Nope, it was a pull. You lost that. The, 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 the embarrassing and frustrating and defeating things that happen in our life are almost always because of our choices. What we chose. Choosing the wrong thing instead of the right thing. And, and I will tell you that that um, the most defeating thing about making those choices is our belief that we might never be able to choose the right things. But listen to Galatians 5, 24 through 25. It says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their own sinful selves. They have given up their old selfish feelings and the evil things they wanted to do. We get our new life from the Spirit, so we should follow the Spirit. Did you see all of the voluntary, all of the self-control? Every one of those things we did. We've been enabled and empowered and given the opportunity and the option of choosing to crucify our flesh. Jesus will never make you stop doing anything. It's not gonna make you give up the thing you don't wanna give up. 
So stop fearing that Jesus is the big bully in the sky who wants you to not have any fun and he's gonna take this away. You get to continue to do whatever you want. Paul says all things are permissible, not all things are profitable. You can continue to sin all you want. You have God's permission to do it. It's just not meant for you. You can drink antifreeze if you want. They say it tastes incredibly sweet. I would prefer not to find out because it's really not good for you. But you can do it. Lisa was pregnant with Cole and she had these really bizarre cravings. She loved, loved gasoline fumes, loved exhaust fumes, loved the smell of the old magic markers. Remember the metal case magic markers? We had some in the house. We literally had to hide them. This is how strong her sense of smell was. She could sniff them out and find where they were. We'd hid them back in a towel drawer and she was looking in the kitchen, pulled the drawer open and pulled it out and went back there and found it. I was like, I'm gonna lend her to the police. That's amazing. She could sniff out crime and drugs and we could make some good money. But she wanted to drink bleach. She craved, she said, I would love a, a cold glass of bleach. Her doctor asked her what she craved and she told him and he said, now you know not to do that, right? <laughs> I was like, doc, she's craving bleach. She's not dumb. Like, yeah, just, I mean, these are just cravings. Listen, we have the power and the ability to not do anything and to, instead of following our flesh, follow God. And so really it comes down to push or pull. It gets a little more complicated than that because often we're not choosing between something that's really obviously God and something that's really obviously our flesh. We have to use a discernment and a, and a maturity to kind of know the difference between the two and choose correctly. But I want to leave you with this passage in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. It says, you were taught not to live the way you used to. You must get rid of your old way of life. You've got to, if you want to live in this new way, you've got to get rid of the old way. That's because it's been made impure by the desire for things that lead you astray. So this isn't a, this isn't a prohibition against living. This is a prohibition against walking off path and leading yourself down a path of destruction. You were taught to be made new in your thinking. You were taught to start living a new life. It's created to be truly good and holy, which means set apart for a purpose, just as God is. You have to be able to see God is on your side and not holding you back. You have to be able to see sin in your flesh, your natural way of thinking as the wrong choice. You have to believe that the nature, the new nature of Christ is superior to your old habit of thinking in a particular way. I wanna tell you that, and I mentioned this before, over 80% of the decisions we make are illogical. They're impulsive and they're emotionally driven. Have you ever really known anything that comes, any good thing that comes out of being impulsive and emotional? Any really good decisions you've ever made impulsively and emotionally? 
The answer is probably no. Maybe one or two, you've, you've, you've just guessed well, but otherwise, we wish we would have stopped and really thought it through. When our kids get in trouble at school, we say, what were you thinking? And you go, I wasn't thinking. And you're like, yeah, you weren't thinking. Because if you were, you would have realized this is really, really dumb. That's all Paul is saying to us is, I mean, my gosh, you've got to stop. You've you got to quit letting it come to life. You get to choose. You get to let it walk around with you and make your choices for you. You get to follow it anywhere you want, but you said you wanted a new life. You said you wanted to follow Christ. You said you wanted the Holy Spirit to lead you. So why, why do you keep choosing that instead? It's not guilt. It's just good common sense encouragement. The life you want, there's a clear path for it. And if you don't feel confident in your ability to choose the leading of the Spirit, my encouragement would be this. When you walk up to a door, it will say on the door, push or pull, if it's not already obvious, right? Some doors, you can't push it past the threshold. It just, you wouldn't be able to. But those doors that are just a little ambivalent, it says it right there. It's written on the door. And if we had just taken the time to read instead of hurry into that moment, we would avoid the embarrassment and the pain and the flattened nose. Now I'm holding my iPad because this is where I've got my scripture. <laughs> Can I tell you it's already written on the door? If you don't know the right way, learn it, read it, discover it. Find the plan of God for your life. If you bow your head and close your eyes, I wanna give you just a second to say yes. To what God's speaking to your heart right here, right now. There's nothing magical, by the way, about bowing your heads. It's just honestly a practical way for you to have a, a moment of privacy. First off, if you're not a follower of Christ and you want to begin that relationship today, you don't have to do anything to impress me, come up here and high five me, take a class. The Bible says that he knocks at the door of our heart and if we will open it to him, he will come in and he'll begin a relationship with us immediately, instantaneously. And here's the amazing news. You don't have to clean up to get into the shower, right? You don't have to clean up to become a Christ follower. He loves you just the way you are and wants to begin a relationship with you just the way you are. And if that's you, would you do something for me? Because everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. Just as a symbol of what's happening in your heart, just sneak a hand up and then you can put it right back down. I'm not gonna, I promise. There's no, there's no other thank you, thank you. There's no other shoe that's gonna drop. I'm not gonna have anybody stand up or come forward or anything like that. I just, let's do this. Every single person in this room right now, um, pray this like you also raised your hand with those who did. Christ Jesus, I believe in you at least enough to pray to you and ask to begin a relationship with you right here, right now in this moment. 
If you will forgive my old self and all that I've ever done that led me away from your purpose and your plan, I will follow you for all the days of my life. Now, if you maybe are already a follower of Christ, but you heard this message and you've been plagued by that old self coming back and you just say, I wanna keep dead things dead that need to stay dead in my life. There are things that need to be living that I want to come back to life. There are lost dreams and lost relationships. I wanna see those restored back to life, but there are destructive things. There's old way habits, old way thinking, old way talking, old way actions that have to stay dead. And I need to gain power to do that. I wanna fall in love with God's word. I wanna fall in love with worship. I wanna fall in love with fellowship with other Christians who will help me become stronger in my ability of stepping on the neck of the old self, choosing the way that God's laid out before me through the leading of his Holy Spirit. If that's you, just throw a hand up. Say, yeah, that's my commitment today. Yeah, everybody. Father, thank you for our declaration of faith today. Lord, our action plan is to do what's so obvious to do, and that is read what's written on the door, in or out, push or pull, go or stay, right or left. Lord, you lead us through your spirit to discern the path that you've laid out before us. But we've got to know you to know your voice. We've got to recognize you to see your leading. And so give us a passion and a love for those things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And if you were one who began a relationship with Christ today, you'll see a thing of cubicles right over there. And in there is a packet we call the I Raise My Hand packet. They've got really cool Bibles and three really, really small booklets that are gonna get you started in your new relationship with Christ. Start with the book called A Good Start. It's microscopically thin. You'll be able to read it in just a few minutes, honestly. And they're really cool Bibles. Actually, we just replenished. There are some Bibles in there that are called the uh, Filament Bible and they're interactive. You use an app along with it and it has devotionals and has videos, has all kinds of very cool things. You get a really, really cool Bible to start. There's also one called Dancing in the Desert. That's a great devotional Bible, but you just go take one of those. You just go grab it off the shelf. You don't need to ask permission. You don't need to pay anything. You just grab it. It's yours. Begin that walk with Christ. If you want to tell us about your decision, you can through the card. You don't have to, but we would love to hear it so we can be there to support you.